Amen. Welcome to Foundation. I am Pastor Scott. If you're here for the first time, I hope that you recognize that we really love Jesus. Uh, we count it a great honor and privilege to be able to serve Him and give our hearts and lives unto Him. And we hope that you feel the same as well. Brian, you'll probably want to back that overall monitor down. I think that's what you're getting out of there. I'm excited uh, about all the great things that are taking place here at the church, but probably not for all the reasons that you think I might be excited. I am actually excited because I see God making a difference in the lives of those who have fully dedicated themselves to God, fully dedicated themselves to living out the principles of God. So I'm excited to see what God has not only for those families, but the families that haven't yet arrived at foundation. Uh, God continues to tell me time and time again that there is more to come. And I'm excited to see what that is for our church and our future. So I'm always caught as a believer, as a pastor, as a sheep to the ultimate shepherd, which is God the Father. Brian, if you could touch it down just another notch, maybe just my headset over there on the left side. I'm always caught between the grace of God and then what to do with the grace of God in my life and living out the principles that God desires for us to live out. Because I know once we give our hearts to God and accept this gift that we can't earn, that we then have to do something with this gift if the gift is so great. The best gifts that I've ever had are gifts that I can use. I'm still waiting for someone to maybe like give me a car or something like that. I haven't had anyone, any, anyone or gift quite that great or maybe an Apple Watch or something like that. I could probably work out an Apple Watch maybe for Christmas or something. I'm not sure, but I don't know about the car. But anyway, these gifts that we get, this gift of grace, the mercy that God bestows upon us in spite of all of our shortcomings, all of the things that we... I guess that are wrong about us because of the decay of humanity over time. We, we failed to be able to obey in the garden, and uh, we've been on like this decline of being able to live out the principles of God in our life until Jesus came on the scene and rescued us with His gift of grace, and we were able to rebound from our own selves, our own shortcomings, and able to um, serve Him and serve Him wholeheartedly. So I don't want to discount what a great gift that really is. Because without it, I'm nothing. With it, I have the ability to live eternity with Jesus who actually gave it to me, gave His life for me, but then yet I've got time left on this earth. So then what do I do with this great gift? So then what happens as Christians is we begin to transfer or uh, think about these things that we can do in order to allow for other people to experience this gift of grace that we have. And if we're not very, very careful, this turns into a list of works that we think check a bunch of boxes and make us holier than thou. And then all of a sudden, we're backed into the box of religion and 
church mess, if that makes sense to you. So then we swing back over to the gift of grace, and then we realize that we're actually supposed to be doing things for God because the gift is so good. And I'm challenged greatly by this in my life because as I've grown up and I've grown in Christ, I'm very works-oriented. I want to do things for God. I want to live out the principles of God. I want to be obedient. I want to follow my call. I want to discover my purpose. I want to see other people who associate with me give their hearts to Christ and live out their plan and purpose for life. So I'm very uh, uh, oriented to put my hand to the plow and do great things for God. But see, we still got grace. Because I'll fail at that, right? Eventually, I'm going to trip and I'm going to stumble and I'm going to fall. And then I've got to default back to the only thing that really allows me to be able to live it out in the first place. And that's grace. So I wanted to set the stage a little bit with, with just that because we are starting a study, by the way. The uh, small group is going to be over this um, particular study here called Grace is Grace. Unless, there we go, unless these batteries went south too. So this Grace is Greater uh, series by Kyle Eidelman. Very good minister, very good pastor, very good study. We want you to go on our website and sign up for one of those groups. We have a group for you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. So make sure you sign up for that. Our leaders are uh, Jeff and Ashley Miller, um, Brian and Andrea, soon to be Suman next Saturday. Some newlyweds coming up in the house. Creative pastor Brian and Andrea. Um, I would say her last name, but I get the, the, the emphasis of the syllables wrong all the time. So I'll just say like, you know, because, um, but I think I could spell it. And then we have Pastor Simon and Becky Fussnecker that's running the other group. And then Jared and Lindsay White. So sign up for one of those because we do believe that it's important to connect and we don't want to neglect grace. So I want to talk to you today about what do we do once we have it? And you've seen some of the things that we've been doing online uh, with salt and light. As you see the uh, picture here behind me for you to see some of the things that we are called to be and called to do. So I guess I could set the table by saying that uh, when we say we're Christians, we're saying a lot. It's a lot of responsibility that comes along with saying you're a Christian. Every level that Christ has allowed me or God has allowed me to elevate into in living the blessings of God, the divine nature of God in my, in my life, uh, ultimately, um, probably the greatest, I hate to call this a job, but calling or ministry in my life is to be a pastor. So along with that comes great responsibility as a shepherd, 
I mean, after all, I'm a sheep to someone as well, right? So I look to God a lot and to some other trusted ministers in my life. But when we say that we're Christians, we're saying an awful lot. What I've learned is that over time, whether because of religion or whatever it might be, some disenfranchised experiences that you've had in other churches, people like to begin to make their own definition of what a Christian is or what a Christian is not. And quite frankly, if you want to know what a Christian is, you have to read your Bible. The Bible will tell you what a Christian is. You just can't listen to the preacher. I'll fail you. I'm fallible. And I don't know everything. I'm just called to carry forth this word of God called the Holy Bible. But if you want to know what it is that is expected of us as Christians, you've got to read your Bible. I told you last week that the Bible is your roadmap to Christianity and holy living. We are just mouthpieces or conduit that carry forth the message that is within that great book that we call the Bible. The Bible makes it very clear what a Christian is and how to live out the principles of God in our lives. I most frequently hear people try to box God into or Christianity into three categories. One category that they like to box us into is the category of a believer. And what I would say to those who believe that the category of a believer is you've got to be very careful because there's a vast difference between being a believer and being a Christ follower. Even Satan himself believes that there is a God in heaven who saves delivers, and heals. Now, I'm not talking about the type of belief that we believe on faith or believe in faith that God will move mountains and provide physical healings in our life and things like that. I'm not talking about that type of belief, but just believing and saying that there's a God does not make you a fully devoted follower of Christ. Satan left heaven as an angel to create his own kingdom to try to convince us that his path was the path towards eternity. And he knows that there's a God. So we have to be very careful with how we define Christianity. We have a believer and then we have, I'm a Christian, right? Another category or definition that we might try to kind of box God into because we like to categorize and order and check box and to-do list, right? We like this. Makes us feel good. So now we box God into, I'm a Christian. And that's okay. We want everyone to be Christians. We want them to give their heart to God, confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, to be forgiven, believe in the plan of salvation, and be a Christian. So then now we have a label, right? We're Christians. We are representing Christ and this great gift. And then we have Christians who are actually fully devoted Christ followers. Not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have to pray every day, man. Every day. Because this enemy 
that is against us is relentless. And the more I do, the more he runs after me. The more that I do for God, the more I actually need God. The less I do for God, he'll leave me alone. But as soon as I decide that I want to do something bold or courageous for God, it does take courage to serve God and do great things for God in your life. The enemy comes after me. And my efforts to become fully devoted. Most theologians would describe a Christian as someone who has gone beyond just believing that there's a God and accepting Christ as your Savior, a Christian, a believer. Then we must learn the principles of God throughout the Bible so that we can live them out. There's a lot of ways that we can divide the Bible, Old and New Testament. We can divide it into uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then the Old Testament, which the Pentateuch is the law of Moses, and then the New Testament. We could define it as beginning and end with a middle intertestimonial period. We could also define it as the person of God and the principles of God. Principles of God. That is the whole Bible. It's talking about the person of God and the principles of God from beginning to end. And we've got to learn what the principles of God are to live out. We can't even get to this yet. Salt and light. I can't be salt if I'm not saved. I can't be a light if I don't have the light of the world living in my life. We can't get to this yet until we iron out the fact that fully dedicated living is what God wants from us as an act of obedience when we follow Christ. I will go to my grave with that message. Grace is not a get out of jail free card. Well, I guess it kind of is, but it doesn't mean you do whatever you want because you got this gift of grace card in your back pocket. I'm going to act like a fool today because God's grace. This ain't really a card. There was nothing else up here for God. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go cuss a dude out because I got grace. Now, that don't make no sense. Grace, let me do all that. Because there'd be a couple of folks I'd probably like to do that too. So if God speaks to you this week and say, that don't make no sense, does it? It's so good that I ought to try to live right. Make me want to go back and just say, come on, man. Anybody know that part on ESPN back in the day? Come on, man. You in the NFL and I threw a pass to you that bounced off your helmet? <laughs> Miami Oxford probably had a couple passes bouncing off their helmets yesterday. Come on, man. So these Christians, I'll put that in quotations for you there. These Christians that believe they just want to accept God as their Savior and do nothing else. 
Like, you know, cool, I've got enough to get me to heaven. I'm cool. I accepted Christ. I don't want to do nothing else. I know the toilet needs clean, but good luck with that. We'll find another super saint to scrub that boy out. I just thought of that because I did. That's like entry level servanthood, I believe, man. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. These folks that don't want to go beyond entry-level Christianity are missing out on an awful lot of blessings in their life. Blessings that will allow them to live above worldly expectations and not beneath. To live a life of divine blessing. The ability... To be so blessed, you can't be stressed. So Jesus talks a little bit in the Bible about what is required, not required, what is expected after you accept him as your savior. I know we did our red letter series a, a, a few months ago, probably now, but I want to touch on a verse that he talks about before we get into the verse that you think this sermon series is all about, which it really is, but you got to understand this first. Jesus himself talked about the importance of being a fully devoted follower, fully devoted trying to eradicate all, I hesitate to use the word of evil, but it's either good or it's evil or it's good or it's bad or it's whatever, to eradicate all the things that are not of God in your life. It's a better way to describe it. And he talks about laying down our cross or picking up our cross and following him. It's actually in the New Testament five times. Not just one time. It's in there five times. And he words it differently, at least the writer, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke in these particular instances that write about it, a little bit different. In Matthew 10 and 38, you don't have that back there, media team. I'm going to go over these five you don't have. Matthew 10 and 38 says, those who do not pick up their cross and follow him are not worthy to be a disciple of his. We're talking about Jesus. It's not me. Matthew 10, 38, the roadmap for holy living. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not Old Testament, for the New, for the New Testament, uh, uh, hyper New Testament people that believe that's where the book started, but it, it didn't. It started way back in the old. But for the New Testament folks, I don't want to make a joke about tithing or none of that either. So we're just going to stay on this. Matthew 10, 38, that if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be a disciple. In other words, any Christian that believes in this gift of grace and gives their heart to Christ would at least say, I'll carry some of the weight. After all, you carried your cross to Calvary for me. I will at least make an attempt to pick mine up. I don't know where to go. I don't know which way to step. And there's no power within me to overcome the enemy. 
But the God that I serve has the power to allow me to overcome the enemy. And if my power lies in Jesus Christ who bore my cross on Calvary, then surely if I believe in this gift of grace and I've given my heart to God, I'll pick up my cross in order to try to follow you. That's in the New International Version, by the way, for those of you that are hunting it down. Matthew 16, 24. It talks further about picking up our cross. When we pick up our cross, the Bible says that I must deny myself. That it's not about Scott Fussnecker, the old man anymore. I don't even want to say it's about Scott Fussnecker, the man from five years ago. And I wasn't all that bad back then. It's not even about the Scott Fussnecker of yesterday. But I have to pick up my cross daily, the Bible says. Every day that I live, I must pick up my cross and deny myself in order that God might carry me and sustain me. That I might be worthy to be a disciple. See, when I do this and I just say I'm all good, I don't need to mess with none of that stuff. I'm not here to debate whether or not that'll get me through the threshold of the pearly gates. But I'm not going to take a chance with it. I'm going to do what Jesus himself said in the book of Matthew and pick up my cross. That makes me worthy now. I'm fit for the kingdom. I pick up my cross because the cross that Jesus bore for me is a better one. So I won't try to live by mine. I'll pick mine up and let him continue to carry the weight. I'm now worthy to serve and I will deny myself in order that he might become greater in me. Hallelujah. Mark 8:34 tells me again. If you want to be my disciple, we're not talking about salt and light yet. If you want to be my disciple, this is the third reference to it in the New Testament. You must deny yourself and follow me. Follow me. This is an action verse. I've got to do something. Jesus not going to follow me. He already marched to the cross because I'm, I'm not enough. Luke 9 and 23. He says it again. Take up his cross daily. Man must take up his cross every day. Somebody say every day. Every day, take up your cross. Not take it up and do whatever you want to do. How many of you know that your cross gets heavy sometimes? Burden get heavy sometimes. Vincent, the, bur the burden get heavy sometimes. Sometimes we don't have answers. I pray that every day, daily, that I can become worthy enough not because I'm righteous, but because I'm unrighteous. And he makes me be able to pick up my cross and follow him every day. 
And he takes it a little bit deeper. Luke 14 and 27. The New International Version. We're talking about the Bible now. I'm not reading Sally, Dick, and Jane or Barnum and Bailey Circus book or something they got back in the nursery that ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. And I don't know if they do, but, you know, they might have something back there. I'm not poking fun at the nursery, but, you know, anything to keep the kids babysat, you bring it on in, and I'll read it to them to get them boys quiet. I'm talking about the Bible. Luke 14, 27. Who does not bear his cross and come after me? Now, this will cut you deep because the Bible's a what? A two-edged sword? Cannot be my disciple. That means I've got to pick it up daily and to become worthy to follow him I can now be his disciple. But if I'm not picking up my cross daily, it tells me very clearly I cannot be a disciple. Let's rewind. We're not trying to be the grace meter. We're not trying to be the judge meter. We're not trying to determine at this point sin and what is not a sin and where is my list and how can I get to heaven and all this other stuff. If you want to know that, here's what I tell everyone your first step would be. Don't schedule no counseling with me yet, if you haven't done this first. Give your heart to God. Make him the Lord of your life. When you do that, the Bible says that you have a covenant with God. You don't have no covenant with me. We just friends, you know what I'm saying? We cousins. Everybody where I come from, somebody say, do you know him? Yeah, that's my cousin. Boy, that is not your cousin. That's your mama's best friend's little kid that you hung around all the time, so you think it's your cousin. That is not your cousin. So just because you say that you're a Christian doesn't mean you are one. You have to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, take up your cross, follow him, do it every day so that you can overcome sin in your life. Make a relationship with God, give your heart to him, form a covenant, covenant's a relationship, a covenant is a relationship between at least more than one person. In this instance, it's a covenant between you and the great one. Not you and me. I don't know what he knows. I'm not God. I'm a fallible failure without Jesus, a hunk of flesh that deserves to go to hell, but I've been saved by grace, so I'm on my way to heaven. Thanks be to the grace of God in my life. So then, therefore, I form a covenant with him. You may never heard it put like that. But one day, that's what will be laying in a box. My spirit shall live forever. And this body will take on a glorified body. So now, how do we live? Make your covenant. Relationship with God. Talk to God. Pray to God. He'll speak back to you. Right away, you might not know his voice. Because you got to understand it in the spirit. you got to understand when it's God. Somebody say, well, how do I know when God's talking to me? I can remember as a young sheep following the shepherd going astray sometimes and maybe hearing a voice that I didn't take for God's voice and I kind of did what I want. 
Then things go south and I begin to reflect and I think, wait, was God trying to tell me? So if you want to know, and I veered off my notes a little bit there, what it is that will allow you to take up your cross daily and live your life out for God, form a relationship with him. Don't, don't ask for a list. I don't have a list. A pastor doesn't have the big black leather Bible bound in gold because, you know, every pastor got to have one of them, wear a tie every Sunday, right, and do that, do all that stuff. And then we flip in. It's got the nice tabs on it, right? You know the tabs that you go through. Either they stick out or you thumb through them. It's not in there. You have to read that and understand. I'll have some big list. It's the Bible. That's where it's at. The Holy Bible. So now you know why I started the sermon off by saying, how do we find what a Christ, define what a Christian is? My dad preaches one of the more memorable sermons about that. I don't know. I guess dad was probably in his mid-30s or 40s when he started to preach this one. And he would get out a banana box, a Chiquita banana box, in fact, and he would wear them with suspenders. He would go back in the back and he'd dress up and he would come out on the stage with the banana box on. He would get in it, little case of bananas, you know how they're down at the store, poke the bottom out. And he would have a set of suspenders and he would try to convince those who were listening that he is a Chiquita banana because he's in the box. Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You have to deny yourself Pick up your cross and follow him. Action behind what it is and who it is you say you serve. So this salt and light verse that I want to get to, that was a lot of table setting there, but you got to learn it. You got to take your medicine before you can feel better. Matthew 5, 13 and 14 I believe we have it back there. You are the salt of the earth. You are. We're talking about Christians now. That's why I had to set the table. Fully devoted Christ followers. You're the salt of the earth. I'm not even sure you could be the salt of the earth when you're not fully devoted because you're not spreading anything people want. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Hmm. It is no longer good for anything. Hold on now. Let's, let's read that verse back there that says, He who does not pick up his cross is not worthy to be a disciple of mine. He who does not bear his cross cannot come after me or uh, and, and come after me cannot be my disciple. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it become salty again or be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. Lord, let that not be me. Lord, let that not be Foundation Community Church. And he uses the same reference that he uses when he talks about spreading seed. We preached on several months ago 
when you're spreading seed and ground that can take the seed, good soil, and then some seed that falls off the path, and some of that seed becomes trampled underfoot. Uses the same reference. It's not good for anything. Now, you have to understand that he's not talking about an individual. He's talking about living out the principles of God in your life or not. He went to the cross for all of us, that we have the opportunity. He gives us free will to choose him. This is why some people do not choose Christ. Because he loves us so much that he gives us free will to choose him. And not everyone does. You are the light of the world. Continuing in verse, probably up to 15 now, 14. Light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. We barely going to get into salt, much less light today, y'all. Neither do people put a lamp or put it, uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. I don't know if they have that back there. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's a lot of stuff in there for me to do. I can't just say I'm something, but I'm not doing nothing. That takes us back to the other definition, right? I believed and accepted, then I'm not going to do nothing. So I'm going to miss out on all the good blessings and divine favor in my life that I can experience on this earth. As a mess as it is at times. This just told me a lot of stuff to do. A lot of stuff. It requires action. What does Jesus mean when he says that we are the salt of the earth? Without getting too deeply theological, because I study a lot, there's a lot of debate and study around all of this, what it is, what it's supposed to be. But I know one thing, he's talking to us, salt of the earth. In Jesus' day, salt was used as a preservative. I think most of the time now it's used as a direct route to send us down to the doctor because we put too much on our food because it's good, which is another biblical principle behind being the flavor of or the choice of or the preferred way of living in life as we try to pervert, uh, uh, preserve goodness in this world. We as Christ followers throughout the world, we make up the kingdom of God and are like salt unto the world, preserving the presence of God in the world, preserving truth and goodness in a fallen world. The kingdom of God, which is us, is scattered throughout the world to preserve goodness, love, compassion, forgiveness, self-control, etc. When we become salt of the earth, we are providing rather than receiving. You got to catch that. When you become salt of the earth, 
It's not for yourself. You've already received the gift, right? You saved. You're a Christian. You're trying to be fully dedicated. You've accepted this gift of grace. You're now trying to be salt of the earth. You are providing rather than receiving. We must keep in mind that our blessings for providing, I don't want to make this transactional. God is not over there saying one for you and one for me. It's not prosperity gospel. You give 10, I'll give you this. You give five, I'll give you this. You give this, I'll give you. God is way bigger than transactions. We don't serve a transactional God. When we become salt of the earth, we are providing rather than receiving. We must keep in mind that our blessings that we receive come by way of the Lord, not by man. And these blessings can often, they can't often be measured by man, such as divine health, divine security. Hmm, that'll preach. Divine peace. Divine means something other than you, something you can't give me. Something you really can't even hardly measure. I'm going to be the salt of the earth and I'm going to just let the, blowing, the, the blessings pour in. Blessings of divine love. Being salt of the earth is even the mission of the corporate church body, not just us as individuals, such as this church here, Foundation. We have a bunch of fully devoted followers called to the same purpose. Our mission is to be the salt of this particular community and the neighboring communities beyond. We do this the same way as we do as individuals. We spread the love of God, the goodness of God, the compassion of God, forgiveness, etc. Salt of the earth. As a church, this salt becomes organized. This is where some people begin the downhill slide and put the church above God and can no longer be effective because they got into the set of rules and quit being salt. So now we come together as a corporate body. We become organized as salt spreaders among the world, among the community with love, goodness, peace, joy, all those things. Even your tithing is salt. I'm pretty sure that what we've invested into this facility as an organized corporate body is going to be used to continue to influence the community by being salt spreaders, being salt of the earth. So what will you get in return for your tithing? That's the answer sometimes that people ask. God is not transactional. But I do know that I've been giving so long and I couldn't pinpoint the blessings that I receive in exchange for that. But I do know that being fully devoted requires me, my time, talent, and treasure. Nothing I have belongs to me. I might as well give some back to God. And I've been giving so long I'm just not going to try it any other way. Because I walk in divine, divine favor. There's certain things that I have in my life that I didn't even earn. There's certain things that happen in my life that I simply can't explain. There's certain things that happen in my life that I know for a fact God has put them in my life. Divine favor. 
fully dedicated, salt of the earth, time, talent, and treasure. Even in your conversations, Colossians 4 and 6 says, let your conversations always be full of grace. That's where we started, remember? Full of grace and seasoned with salt. Let me translate that for you. You can't say whatever you want to say how you want to say it. You've got to be salt of the earth. We are called to be salt, to preserve goodness in this world. We are the kingdom of God. Not 825 West State Street. Not 100 South Boulevard. Not whatever other church somewhere else. But we, the kingdom, the people, us, kingdom-minded believers, we are the salt of the earth. To be salt. That's action. I've got to do something. I've got to pick up my cross, carry it, follow God, deny myself, become a worthy disciple, and then therefore become a